Hello, everybody, and welcome into the Bible Reading Podcast, episode number 223. Today's big Bible question, can we pray without words? Well, hello, friends. Happy Thursday to you. Today, we are in the Psalms for a third day in a row, which sort of sets a new record for us, I do believe. Our Bible passages are Judges 20, Jeremiah 34, Psalms 5 and 6, and Acts 24. Today, we're focused on prayer And we're learning to pray from the Psalms. As the pandemic has unfolded, I have found more and more personal comfort in reading the Psalms. And I think I've mentioned to you several times that I endeavor to read at least one Psalm every morning upon first waking up. Now, I'm also trying to meditate on the Psalms and to remember their words as uh, fuel for my prayers. I kind of think we can learn to worship and pray better and more, gosh, what's the right word there? Effectively? Beautifully? I'm not sure, but I want to learn to to pray and worship in my own time, my personal time with the Lord from the Psalms, which is kind of a relatively new desire for me at this point in my life. I think a big reason for this is because the Psalms, in the Psalms, we have uh, God-breathed, Holy Spirit-inspired words of praise and worship. That means that the thoughts they express and the praises they offer are good, godly, and anointed. And so that means we can pray the words of the Psalms knowing that we're praying in accord with God's will. And, you know, that's a comforting thought. No, don't get me wrong. I do believe we can and should express to God the spontaneous and uh, genuine words of our heart and longing talking to him conversationally, but honestly, I think the Psalms help me to express those words better somehow. But have you ever been at that place where words just fail and you don't know what to say or how to say it? Maybe you're going through something so difficult or soul-crushing that you can barely get out anything coherent. Maybe you've been so confused and perplexed by a particular situation that you just genuinely don't even know how to pray or what to pray for uh, or what to pray, what goal kind of to pray for. Or maybe you're so stressed and worried that the words just don't come. I recall a time when our daughter was in the hospital when she was very young and very sick. I had to leave the room with her when a friend came by to see us. You know, there's a maximum of two visitors. And while I was out, one of the babies or toddlers, it seemed like coded or something like that, which seemed to send doctors and nurses scrambling and there was an alarm and all this kind of stuff. And I was outside of that wing. I was utterly terrified. I could not get my wife or our friend on the phone. And I'll just be honest with you, I was melting. I was sure it was our daughter. I prayed from the absolute anguish of my heart, but you know, words just wouldn't come out. It was just cries of my heart, sobs and gibberish. Now, was that real prayer? Did I connect with God? I'm not sure, but I will tell you the whole situation was a false alarm. My daughter, our daughter was fine. My wife and her friend had uh, missed my worried calls and texts because they were deep in conversation. I'll never forget when they walked out of the wing, kind of laughing and talking with each other, and I just stared at them like, why are you so happy when this great tragedy has befallen us? And they looked at me like, what's wrong with you? Are you okay? (laughs) I was just, I kind of laughed and cried and praised God for his goodness. That was a great outcome, but it raises the question, 
must we pray with words for our prayers to be heard by God? How important is it to use the right words, or how important is it even to use eloquent words, and high words, and theological words, and impressive words? Well, Psalms 5 helps us to understand prayer on a deeper level, so let's go read Psalms 5 and 6, and then come back And we're going to talk with Brother Charles Spurgeon about praying without words. Psalm chapter 5, verse 1. Listen to my words, Lord. Consider my sighing. Pay attention to the sound of my cry, my King and my God, for I pray to you. In the morning, Lord, you hear my voice. In the morning, I plead my case to you and watch expectantly. For you are not a God who delights in wickedness. Evil cannot dwell with you. The boastful cannot stand in your sight. You hate all evildoers. You destroy those who tell lies. The Lord abhors violent and treacherous people, but I enter your house by the abundance of your faithful love. I bow down toward your holy temple in reverential awe of you. Lord, lead me in your righteousness because of my adversaries. Make your way straight before me, for there's nothing reliable in what they say. Destruction is within them. Their throat is an open grave, and they flatter with their tongues." Punish them, God. Let them fall by their own schemes. Drive them out because of their many crimes, for they rebel against you. But let all who take refuge in you rejoice. Let them shout for joy forever. May you shelter them, and may those who love your name boast about you. For you, Lord, bless the righteous one. You surround him with favor like a shield. Psalm chapter 6, verse 1. Lord, do not rebuke me in your anger. Do not discipline me in your wrath. Be gracious to me, Lord, for I am weak. Heal me, Lord, for my bones are shaking. My whole being is shaken with terror. And you, Lord, how long? Turn, Lord, rescue me. Save me because of your faithful love. For there's no remembrance of you in death. Who can thank you in shale? I am weary from my groaning. With my tears I dampen my bed and drench my couch every night. My eyes are swollen from grief. They grow old because of all my enemies." Depart from me, all evildoers, for the Lord has heard the sound of my weeping. The Lord has heard my plea for help. The Lord accepts my prayer. All my enemies will be ashamed and shake with terror. They will turn back and suddenly be disgraced. So here's Charles Spurgeon on praying without words. There are two sorts of prayers, those expressed in words and the unuttered longings which abide as silent meditations. Words are not the essence, but the garments of prayer. Moses at the Red Sea cried to God, though he said nothing. Yet the use of language may prevent distraction of mind, may assist the powers of the soul, and may excite devotion. David, we observe, uses both modes of prayer and craves for the one a hearing and for the other a consideration. What an expressive word. Consider my meditation. If I have asked that which is right, give it to me. If I have omitted to ask that which is most needed, fill up the vacancy in my prayer. Consider my meditation. Let your holy soul consider it as presented through my all-glorious mediator. Then regard it in thy wisdom. Weigh it on your scales. Judge of my sincerity and of the true state of my necessities, and answer me in due time for that your mercy's sake. There may be prevailing intercession, says Spurgeon, where there are no words, and alas, there may be words where there is no true supplication. Let us cultivate the spirit of prayer, which is even better than the habit of prayer. There may be seeming prayer where there is little devotion. 
We should begin to pray before we kneel down, and we should not cease when we rise up. Verse 2 says, Hearken unto the voice of my cry, my King and my God, for unto you will I pray. The voice of my cry. In another psalm, we find the expression, the voice of my weeping. Weeping has a voice, a melting, plaintive tone, an ear, an ear-piercing shrillness, which reaches the very heart of God. And crying has a voice, a soul-moving eloquence. Coming from our heart, it reaches God's heart. Ah, my brothers and sisters, sometimes we cannot put our prayers into words. They are nothing but a cry, but the Lord can comprehend the meaning, for he hears a voice in our cry. To a loving father, his children's cries are music, and they have a magic influence which his heart cannot resist. Observe the order and force of the words in the psalm. My cry, the voice of my prayer, and also give ear, consider, and listen. These expressions all evidence the urgency and energy of David's feelings and petitions. First, we have give ear, that is, hear me. But it is of little service for the words to be heard unless the cry or the roaring or the meditation be considered. As if he had said in a common way of expression, I speak with deep anxiety and concern, but with a failing utterance, and I cannot express myself nor make myself understood as I wish. Do, therefore, understand from my feelings more than I am able to express in words. And therefore I add my cry, that what I cannot express in words for you to hear, I may by my cry signify to your understanding. And when you have understood me, then, O Lord, hear the voice of my prayer, and despise not what you have heard and understood. So take comfort brother and sister, that now in the age of the indwelling Holy Spirit, that God not only hears and deciphers and considers the cries of your heart, but that the Holy Spirit also communes and communicates through you to God the Father, interceding for and with you with inexpressible groans. Yes, you heard that right. The Holy Spirit intercedes for you and with you with words that can't be uttered or inexpressible groans. Now, I get that from Romans eight twenty six and 27, which says, in the same way, the Spirit also helps us in our weakness, because we do not know what to pray for as we should, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with inexpressible groanings. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit, because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. As Spurgeon says, the Holy Spirit goes beyond merely teaching us to pray, but actually joins with us in intercession. He says, I should have thought that the verse would have read, but the Spirit teaches us what we should pray for. But the verse reads more than that. He goes beyond teaching us what we should pray for. He makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. So friends, today, if you are going through the ringer, if you are going through the press, if you are going through a terrible and hard and perplexing and confusing time, and if you are a child of God, washed in the blood of Jesus, trusting in the sacrifice of Jesus on Calvary where he died on the cross, for the sins of all who would look to him in faith believing. If you are a child of God and a faithful follower of Jesus, then you have the Holy Spirit in you, around you, interceding for you and with you with words, groanings that words can't express. Rejoice in that and join 
him in that intercession and rest in the fact that the Father will hear the cries of your heart, even though you don't know how to verbalize them. And we continue with Judges chapter 20, verse 1 in the Christian Standard Bible, remembering that the whole point of Judges is the people didn't have a king at the time, and they just did as they saw fit. They did not seek the Lord. And you're going to see a big example of that today. All the Israelites from Dan to Beersheba and from the land of Gilead came out, and the community assembled as one body before the Lord at Mizpah. The leaders of all the people and all of the tribes of Israel presented themselves in the assembly of God's people, 400,000 armed foot soldiers. The Benjamites had heard that the Israelites had gone up to Mizpah. The Israelites asked, tell us, how did this evil act happen? The Levite, the husband of the murdered woman, answered, I went to Gibeah and Benjamin with my concubine to spend the night. Citizens of Gibeah came to attack me and surrounded the house at night. They intended to kill me, but they raped my concubine and she died. Then I took my concubine and cut her in pieces and sent her throughout Israel's territory because they have committed a wicked outrage in Israel. Look, all of you are Israelites. Give your judgment and verdict here and now. Then all of the people stood united and said, None of us will go to his tent or return to his house. Now this is what we will do to Gibeah. We will attack it by lot. We will take ten men out of every hundred from all the tribes of Israel, and one hundred out of every thousand, and one thousand out of every ten thousand, to get provisions for the troops when they go to Gibeah in Benjamin to punish them for all the outrage they committed in Israel. So all the men of Israel gathered united against the city. Then the tribes of Israel sent men throughout the tribe of Benjamin, saying, What is this evil act that has happened among you? Hand over the wicked men in Gibeah so we can put them to death and purge evil from Israel. But the Benjaminites would not listen to their fellow Israelites. Instead, the Benjaminites gathered together from the cities, their cities to Gibeah to go out and fight against the Israelites. On that day, the Benjaminites mobilized 26,000 armed men from their cities, besides 700 fit young men rallied by the inhabitants of Gibeah. There were 700 fit young men who were left-handed among all these troops. All could sling a stone at a hair and not miss. The Israelites, apart from Benjamin, mobilized 400,000 armed men, every one an experienced warrior. They went out, went to Bethel, and acquired of God. The Israelites asked, Who is to go first to fight for us against the Benjaminites? And the Lord answered, Judah will be first. In the morning, the Israelites set out and camped near Gibeah. The men of Israel went out to fight against Benjamin and took their battle positions against Gibeah. As the Benjaminites came out of Gibeah and slaughtered 22,000 men of Israel on the field that day, but the Israelites' troops rallied and again took their battle positions in the same place where they positioned themselves on the first day. They went up, wept before the Lord until evening, and inquired of him, Should we again attack our brothers the Benjaminites? And the Lord answered, fight against them. On the second day, the Israelites advanced against the Benjaminites. That same day, the Benjaminites came out from Gibeah to meet them and slaughtered an additional 8,000 Israelites on the field. All were armed. The whole Israelite army went to Bethel where they wept and sat before the Lord. They fasted that day until evening and offered burnt offerings and fellowship offerings to the Lord. Then the Israelites inquired of the Lord. In those days, the Ark of the Covenant of God was there, and Phinehas, son of Eleazar, son of Aaron, was serving before it. The Israelites asked, Should we again fight against our brothers, the Benjaminites, or should we stop 
The Lord answered, Fight, because I will hand them over to you tomorrow. So Israel set up an ambush around Gibeah. On the third day, the Israelites fought against the Benjaminites and took their battle positions against Gibeah as before. Then the Benjaminites came out against the troops and were drawn away from the city. They began to attack the troops as before, killing about 30 men of Israel on the highways, one of which goes up to Bethel and the other to Gibeah through the open country. The Benjaminites said, We are defeating them as before. But the Israelites said, Let us flee and draw them away from the city to the highways. So all the men of Israel got up from their places and took their battle positions at Baal Tamar, while the Israelites in ambush charged out of their places west of Geba. Then ten thousand fit young men from all Israel made a frontal assault against Gibeah, and the battle was fierce, but the Benjaminites did not know that disaster was about to strike them. The Lord defeated Benjamin in the presence of Israel. On that day, the Israelites slaughtered 25,100 men of Benjamin. All were armed. Then the Benjaminites realized they had been defeated. The men of Israel had retreated before Benjamin because they were confident in the ambush they had set against Gibeah. The men in ambush had rushed quickly against Gibeah. They advanced and put the whole city to sword. The men of Israel had a prearranged signal with the men in ambush. When they sent up a great cloud of smoke from the city, the men of Israel would return to the battle. When Benjamin had begun to strike them down, killing about 30 men of Israel, they said, They're defeated before us, just as they were in the first battle. But when the column of smoke began to go up from the city, Benjamin looked behind them, and the whole city was going up in smoke. Then the men of Israel returned, and the men of Benjamin were terrified when they realized that disaster had struck them. They retreated before the men of Israel towards the wilderness, but the battle overtook them, and those who came out of the city slaughtered those between them. They surrounded the Benjaminites and pursued them and easily overtook them near Gibeah towards the east. There were 18,000 men who died from Benjamin. All were warriors. Then Benjamin turned and fled towards the wilderness to Ramon Rock, and Israel killed 5,000 men on the highways. They overtook them at Gidom and struck 2,000 more dead. All the Benjaminites who died that day were 25,000 armed men. All were warriors, but 600 men escaped into the wilderness to Ramon Rock and stayed there four months. The men of Israel turned back against the other Benjaminites and killed them with their swords, the entire city, the animals, and everything that remained. They also burned all the cities that remained. Jeremiah chapter 34, verse 1. This is the word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord when King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon, his whole army, all the kingdoms of the lands under his control, and all other peoples were fighting against Jerusalem and all its surrounding cities. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. Go and speak to King Zedekiah of Judah and tell him, This is what the Lord says. I am about to hand this city over to the king of Babylon, and he will burn it. As for you, you will not escape from him, but are certain to be captured and handed over to him. You will meet the king of Babylon eye to eye and speak face to face. You will go to Babylon. Yet hear the words, the word of the Lord, King Zedekiah of Judah. This is what the Lord says concerning you. You will not die by the sword. You will die peacefully. There will be a burning ceremony for you, just like the burning ceremonies for your ancestors, the kings of old who came before you. O master will be the lament for you, for I have spoken this word. This is the Lord's declaration. So the prophet Jeremiah related all these words to King Zedekiah of Judah in Jerusalem, while the king of Babylon's army was attacking Jerusalem and all of Judah's remaining cities, that is, Lachish and Azekah, for they were the only ones left of Judah's fortified cities. This is the word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord after King Zedekiah made a covenant with all the people 
who were in Jerusalem to proclaim freedom to them. As a result, each was to let his male and female Hebrew slaves go free, and no one was to enslave his fellow Judean. All the officials and people who entered into covenant to let their male and female slaves go free in order not to enslave them any longer, obeyed and let them go free. Afterward, however, they changed their minds and took back their male and female slaves. They had let go free and forced them to become slaves again. Then the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah from the Lord. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. I made a covenant with your ancestors when I brought them out of the land of Egypt, out of the place of slavery, saying, At the end of seven years, each of you must let his fellow Hebrew who sold himself to you go. He may serve you six years, but then you must let him go free from your service. But your ancestors did not obey me or pay it any attention. Today you repented and did what pleased me, each of you proclaiming freedom for his neighbor. You made a covenant before me at the house that bears my name, but you have changed your minds and profaned my name. Each has taken back his male and female slaves who had been free, let go to free, let go free to go wherever they wanted, and you have again forced them to be your slaves. Therefore, this is what the Lord says. You have not obeyed me by proclaiming freedom, each for his fellow Hebrew and for his neighbor. I hereby proclaim freedom for you. This is the Lord's declaration. Freedom to the sword, to plague, and to famine. I will make you a horror to all the earth's kingdoms. As for those who disobeyed my covenant, not keeping the terms of the covenant they made before me, I will treat them like the calf they cut in two in order to pass between its pieces." The officials of Judah and Jerusalem, the court officials, the priests, and all the people of the land who passed between the pieces of the calf, all these I will hand over to their enemies, to those who intend to take their life. Their corpses will become food for the birds of the sky and for the wild animals of the land. I will hand King Zedekiah of Judah and his officials over to their enemies, to those who intend to take their lives, to the king of Babylon's army that is withdrawing. I am about to give the command. This is the Lord's declaration, and I will bring them back to this city. They will fight against it, capture it, and burn it. I will make Judah's cities a desolation without habitat. inhabitant. Acts 24, verse 1. Five days later, Ananias, the high priest, came down with some elders and a lawyer named Tertullus. These men presented their case against Paul to the governor. When Paul was called it den, Tertullus began to accuse him and said, We enjoy great Peace because of you and reforms are taking place for the benefit of this nation because of your foresight. We acknowledge this in every way and everywhere, most excellent Felix, with ultimate gratitude. But so that I will not burden you any further, I request that you would be kind enough to give us a brief hearing, for we have found this man to be a plague, an agitator among all the Jews throughout the Roman world, and a ringleader of the sect of the Nazarenes. He even tried to desecrate the temple, and so we apprehended him. By examining him yourself, you will be able to discern the truth about these charges we are bringing against him. The Jews also joined in the attack, alleging that these things were true. When the governor motioned for him to speak, Paul replied, Because I know you have been a judge of this nation for many years, I am glad to offer my defense in what concerns me. You can verify for yourself that it is no more than twelve days since I went up to worship in Jerusalem. They didn't find me arguing with anyone or causing a disturbance among the crowd, either in the temple or in the synagogues or anywhere in the city. Neither can they prove the charges they are now making against me, but I admit this to you. I worship the God of my ancestors according to the way which they call a sect, 
believing everything that is in accordance with the law and written in the prophets. I have a hope in God, which these men themselves also accept, that there will be a resurrection, both of the righteous and the unrighteous. I always strive to have a clear conscience toward God and men. After many years, I came to bring charitable gifts and offerings to my people. While I was doing this, some Jews from Asia found me ritually purified in the temple, without a crowd and without any uproar. It is they who ought to be here before you to bring charges if they have anything against me, or let these men here state what wrongdoing they found in me when I stood before the Sanhedrin. Other than this one statement I shouted while standing among them, Today I am on trial before you concerning the resurrection of the dead. Since Felix was well informed about the way, he adjourned the hearing, saying, When Lysias, the commander, comes down, I will decide your case. He ordered that the centurion keep Paul under guard, though he could have some freedom, and that he should not prevent any of his friends from meeting his needs. Several days later, when Felix came with his wife Drusilla, who was Jewish, he sent for Paul and listened to him on the subject of faith in Christ Jesus. Now, as he spoke about righteousness, self-control, and the judgment to come, Felix became afraid and replied, Leave for now, but uh, when I have an opportunity, I'll call for you. At the same time, he was hoping that Paul would offer him money, so he sent for him quite often and conversed with him. After two years had passed, Portius Festus succeeded Felix, and because Felix wanted to do the Jews a favor, he left Paul in prison. Well, thank you, God, for your word. Friends, may the Lord encourage you. May he bless you and keep you. May he cause his face to shine on you and do you good. Good day and Godspeed.